When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome one and all. The Barcelona podcast is now in your ears. It's Frances Tomas from ESPN and Barca Blog, along with myself, Dan Hilton, from the Barca Blog, a team and a number of different things as well. We're delighted you've joined us once again for another opinionated take on the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Frances, we'll get right into it today. You can check us out on the website where you've commented and helped us with review subscriptions on iTunes, everywhere else. But finally, it's time, Frances, for some real, actual football that counts. And we cannot wait to get the ball rolling in official competition. In today's show, we're going to start talking about Dembélé and whether or not um, Barca chasing the French international is a right, the way thing to do. Then we're going to move on into previewing the Clásico that's going to be played on Sunday against Real Madrid. And uh, as a result of that, we're also going to be looking at the preseason and where we are at this moment in time. And finally, we're going to be looking at Josep Maria Bartomeu and his time on, in charge, and whether or not he should be stepping down anytime soon. Let's get started. Well, we already, in a previous show, we broke down the player, Usmani Dembele, but the question we're asking today is, should Barcelona be willing to pay over 100 million euro for the 20-year-old winger? French winger plays in Germany with Borussia Dortmund, of course, as we had talked about. And the big opposition to Dembele signing is that Dembele was bought from René in France just a year ago for Dortmund for 15 million euro. 
but now he's being priced by the German club for over 100 million euro. And of course, we know that that is a direct response, not only to the fact that Dortmund would love to hang on to him for a little bit longer, but they know that Barcelona have the 222 million in their bank account through Neymar. So of course, other clubs are racking up that price and bringing it higher and higher. And it's hard to blame Dortmund because as we had mentioned, if you know a club has that much money, why wouldn't you ask for a higher number than would be expected? You would, but then again, that doesn't help us, does it? <laughs> um, Dembele is a, a young player that has plenty of potential, has proven himself in France and then moved on to Borussia Dortmund. He made 49 appearances, scoring 10 goals and giving 18 different assists, meaning that he was involved in 28 different goals for a team that, let's not forget, they are not the top of um, German football because obviously that is reserved to Bayern in Munich because whenever a player does well in Dortmund, it seems to be that Munich is lurking around there taking their best players away from them. So it is quite impressive that Dembele has progressed so much last year and uh, it comes as no surprise that with Neymar gone and a gap on the front left of our attack, the, the coaches are looking at different options around the European market. Dybala and Griezmann have been discussed, but Dembele seems to be the one, that, the one player that, given his age and the fact that he's still got 10 to 12 to 13 years at the top of European football, seems to be the option at this moment in time. I think that given his freshness, given his pace, he was tremendous in his first game of the Bundesliga, um, just gone over the weekend, and um, he would be a great addition to our team. But saying that, I would say Barca needs to go um, and put a, a price at 100 million euros and just leave it at that. You know, a player that within a season has gone to 15 to 150 million euros like Borussia Dortmund wants us to believe makes no sense in my eyes. So the fact that we've got the money in the bag, as we said in a previous episode, doesn't necessarily mean we have to spend it. If the price for Dembele is believed to be around 100, then we really shouldn't go any higher. Um, going against the tide at this moment in time, considering that the transfer window is so far in. Because let's not forget, traditionally Barca have had the full team by the time the Juan Gamper trophy has been played in the summer. That is not the case this year at all. And running behind um, is never a good is never a good thing. Las prisas nunca fueron buenas consejeras is that same idiom in Spanish. It's just being in a rush never brought anything good. So I think Let's apply saying, which in Catalan means common sense, and let's leave it at that. Price it at 100 million euros. If Borussia Dortmund want to negotiate, then fantastic. If they don't, see if the player can sort of press the club into a transfer. And if it doesn't happen, it just doesn't happen. Delufeu was great in the Gampa. Paco Alcácer has never been given a proper chance of starting. You've got um, Denis Suarez and Rafinha still in the squad. I think that we can survive with that, particularly during the first part of the season, and then see what comes. I should definitely, definitely not want our club to pay over the odds for a player that is not valued at the price that they're asking for. When considering Dembele, I think while he would be perfect in a Barcelona shirt, just because of all the different things that he can do, and of course his potential is sky high. He, In world football, when he was a teenager, was probably one of the five most promising teenagers at the time, now 20 years old. He's a player that has also repeatedly admitted that he wants to come and eventually play with Barcelona. And the very reason he went to Dortmund was so that he could develop. He knew he wasn't going to get a spot in the team last year, particularly with MSN up top. So continuing to develop, he's made the right career moves, and Dortmund was absolutely the best thing for him. 
But my question would be then, does Dembele represent the future of the club? Because again, being only 20, he won't reach his peak until Messi's, what, 33-34. So is Dembele the kind of player that, not that he's going to be the heir to Messi, but is he going to be those re- one of those really important players in the post-Messi era? And is that something you start to worry about? Because in the Lionel Messi timeline, and we've seen it with Iniesta as well, as Barcelona's core players continue to age as they've now hit 30 and they get a little bit older Barcelona are going to need the top of the top of the talent in the world in the next generation to make sure they're continuing to keep up with the Joneses and keep themselves as a top level team and there is no replacing Iniesta and Messi of course but Dembele could be part of the puzzle on continuing to have a high quality team later on and as I mentioned does that mean forking the money now to make sure you have his signature or does that mean being patient and as you would t- as we talked about before, maybe not spending all the Neymar money, putting it in the bank, letting it sit there for a year. And as the transfer window changes next summer, go out quickly, get your business done. And maybe you get Dembele for $70 million next season, or you get another player very much like Dembele for 60 or $70 million. But for me, we've talked about him in the past as being the player who fits the prototype of Barcelona. He fits exactly what we want. And as we had talked about club loyalty, as Neymar is gone, is a very important part of what Barcelona would like to do with their signings is to get players who they know want to play at the Camp Nou, and Dembele is one of those players. Now, you had talked about last show, an important part in all of this too, as I had alluded to. Barcelona do need to reinforce true, but could it be just as advantageous for the club to do nothing? As you had talked about, the club, by the time the Gampire Trophy rolls around, is usually already completed. And for me, looking at the starting 11, yes, you lose Neymar, but between Luis Suarez, Busquets, Pique, and of course, Lionel Messi, Barcelona kind of have what they need to do to raise their level. The big question from last season and comparing them to Real Madrid, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, was squad depth. Barcelona just didn't have the squad depth, the quality players coming off the bench, or the quality players you need to start against some of the cellar dwellers in La Liga You need them to play 60, 70 minutes so that Busquets and Piquet and Messi can get a rest throughout the season. So if the rest of the bench can figure out a way to get up to the proper levels and join the starting 11 and be quality, then Barcelona might really not need to reinforce with Dembele this year and they can wait till next year and try to negotiate from an earlier part of the summer, as you had mentioned. And for me, the other thing they could do, Frances, and I'll bounce this idea off you, is that Barcelona maybe should try to do a little more things with negotiating in terms of first options. And you look at what happened with David V a few years ago when he was let to go to Atletico Madrid for uh, you know, a third of what he was worth. Maybe the club feels snake bitten, but if first options are possible and I'm the Barcelona board, instead of paying $130 million for a player that was worth $60 million a week ago, I would make some calls to the Anderlecht in Belgium, Sporting CP, Toulouse in France, and Ajax, and I would say we'll give you 6 to $8 million for a first option on this player who, by the time he's 21 years old, could be a world beater in three to four years. And I think that uses this money to take care of the future while putting your trust in the players that Valverde currently has because Barcelona is still a quality squad that's one of the best in the world. Yeah, that would be a way to do it, and that's the way that Real Madrid seem to be reinforcing in the say, last one, two seasons. The other thing not to forget is that football is a very expensive sport and goals is the most expensive part of that sport. So um, there's a sentence that is just football is all about goals and goals are expensive. If you are going to 
reinforced Barca this year, you need to sign a player that is going to score plenty of goals. We can't forget that um, Neymar has left and with his contribution, obviously with Messi and Suarez as well, between the three of them, they score over 100 goals every single year they've played together. And not having that is going to affect the team. If that is the case, then buying a player to bring in here is going to be the only option. However, playing above the odds, paying a bit above the odds, sorry, makes no sense whatsoever. So having a player that can come and have an instant impact is a necessity. But having said that, if we don't have the funds or we don't have the willingness to spend that amount of money, then we just should not do it. And uh, looking into the future, we're talking about loyalty before. The players that are always going to be loyal to Barca are the La Masia graduates. The players that have gone through our academy, they know what the, tra- what the club means, they know what the club needs, and they know the fan base inside out. They know what the pressure that comes with the job. They are used to being in the Camp Nou, even if they weren't playing themselves because they were fans before. So having players coming through the system has to be the way forward. Although, given that Neymar has left, we need someone there right now. Um, if we can afford it and it makes sense to do so. But looking into the future, yep, first options makes perfect sense. But I think what really would be a better sort of model is growing La Masia players and giving them trust to excel, which is why I'm saying that having Gerardo Lufeu as a starter, given what we saw in the Gamper and uh, the way that he has progressed and matured and become much more of a dependable player while away on loan, particularly in Milan, would be an option as well. Yeah, that's a good point, that in the winter transfer, clubs are a little more desperate for goals and for and for reinforcements. Barcelona would probably be even smarter to get their business done over the summer instead of waiting all the way to the winter time. But that said, the winter time is when you have players, you look at a Juan Cadrado, who now plays for Juventus, a few years ago when he was with Chelsea, where throughout the first few months of the season, they quality, quality players find themselves not in plans of major clubs and then maybe for Barcelona, they could swoop in for a $6 million, $8 million loan fee and grab some goals that way. And that would probably be, have to be the strategy in wintertime if Barcelona couldn't reinforce right now with goals. But that's the big question that we're asking, Frances, and we'd love if our fans weighed in as well, is that with Neymar out of it, is it truly necessary to replace him with, uh, again, you're not going to get a like-for-like replacement. So... It's a lot to put on Gerard Delafeu, but you're not putting it all on Gerard Delafeu. You're putting it on Delafeu and Denis Suarez and Paco Cather. You're putting it on those bench players who last year they were criticized for not stepping up and not filling that role. Of course, Delafeu wasn't at the club, but now they're going to have to put the onus on them. And if those players can't contribute, well, maybe that tells a bigger issue with what Barcelona is trying to do. Yeah, and the last point I wanted to make as well, and I agree with what you just said without a doubt, is the fact that Griezmann and Dybala are both very likely to be available next year. Griezmann would have been leaving Atletico Madrid this year, but because they're banned and they cannot make any transfers, he agreed with Simeone and the board that he was going to stay for one more season because he thought, and this is what a loyal player does, that him leaving this year would have left his current club, Atletico Madrid, in a really terrible position. So he decided to stay. That is very similar to what Dybala um, has said to to his board as well. And um, I think they both have one more season in their current clubs. And then there are two players that Barca should be able to get next season if they have the funds, which is why I'm coming back to my original point, Paying 100 million for Dembele makes sense. Paying 100 million for Coutinho makes sense. Any more than that, 
it's a disadvantage deal and I don't think we should do it. So patience seems to be a virtue and hopefully the board has what it takes to be patient if needed. Yep, and fans going right into topic two don't need to be patient to talk about top-level football because we're getting it now in just a few short hours even. FC Barcelona will start the two-legged Supercopa Clasico versus Real Madrid. And is Barcelona ready? I think, Frances, the answer would be yes. Looking at the two preseasons, while Real Madrid playing well against Manchester United in the Super Cup, I'd say that Real Madrid have looked pretty shaky and Barcelona have played well. And I know even in the Juan Gamper trophy playing against Chape, it was more of it was more the symbolism of the match that was important at a match of goodwill. But it was still a football game, and the players for Barcelona, particularly those on the fringe of the club, still tried, still worked hard. And for me, I start this year with a lot of positivity, where Delafeu was injured at the start of preseason, played 45 minutes in that game in the start, yet got a goal, seemed like he fits in well. Again, he, he knows the club, he knows Messi. And he knows Busquets and Iniesta from his time with Barcelona B and in the preseasons before he was sent out to Everton, etc., etc. And not only that, but even if Sergi Samper winds up getting sent out on loan, Samper has changed the mind of Kules completely from a player that seemed like he was going to be shipped out in the first wave to a player that if he's shipped out, you can almost guarantee him a spot when he returns because Samper has been excellent in that preseason and barely put a ball wrong and speaking of barely putting a ball wrong Carlos Elena we expected him to make a major impact in two years or so but he's already a player that still a teenager could make an impact this year where looking at that Gamper Trophy game again yes it was not a game with high intensity and it was more about goodwill but it was still a match that both teams were trying in and I can't think of a time that Elena put a single foot wrong so I think what I had talked about in the last topic, Frances, and this is where you'll weigh in, that looking at Samper, Elena, Denis Suarez, and Lucas Dina had some good spots as well. It looks like the bench of Barcelona has really been rectified, and that was the issue last year, was that by the end of the year, by the, the final against the Champions League matches against Juventus and the end of La Liga, Barcelona's big players, like the Messi, Luis Suarez, Iniesta, Rakitic, they just look gassed. They look like they had not had the proper rest throughout the year, and that's been a problem with Barca in the past. But we praise Real Madrid for reinforcing their bench with all this young talent. And Barcelona, if Samper and Elena and Suarez and Dinier wind up playing the way they've been playing with the confidence they've been playing with in the preseason, if they can do that against Real Madrid and if they can help fortify that team, I'd say Barcelona is absolutely ready for this season. I would agree with you. I think Barca are as ready as they're going to be at this part of the year. Let's not forget that um, preseason is normally about getting fitness, getting that one, two sessions per day in which fitness is, is the ma- most important part. And uh, that job at the beginning of the year sort of helps them moving on. And uh, when it gets to, say, February, March, players are ready for the final push. But at this moment in time, uh, players' legs are normally quite tired. And uh, it is, as you said, it's great to see that our second team, if you want to call it that, have stepped it up, Um, which is a natural thing as well, because let's not forget that when you've done a whole year um, as a bench player and you sort of get to know the mechanisms and your teammates and the environment that you're in, then you are going to get better just naturally. And um, I would expect in the first part of the season, the first, say, before the Christmas break, I would have thought that Valverde is going to rotate the squad enough 
so that these players feel like they're really part of the team, not just there whenever someone's injured, so that the whole team can be rested, can be ready, both mentally and physically, when the second part of the season comes. Now, talking about the El Clásico coming up on Sunday, I would say that while Alenia, Samper, even Dinier have been great, I don't think they're going to play a huge part in the in the Supercopa because it's only two matches. And naturally, given the size of the game, and it's not just the importance of the title because, you know, the Supercopa means pretty much nothing, to be honest. But um, the fact that it's against Madrid and it's a worldwide audience watching, that is what truly matters. And uh, it is the sort of game that whoever wins it will say, it is, a, it is a trophy, so it needs to be counted. Whoever loses it is going to say, yeah, don't worry, it was a meaningless friendly at the beginning of the season. So not taking that away from our point of view, we need to say that the first 11 uh, that Valverde is going to trust is probably going to be the same one as it was in El Gamper. Um, you've got Ter Stegen on goal, then you're probably going to have, I would say Vidal at this moment in time is ahead of Semedo simply because he knows the club better and uh, he's better adapted to the mechanisms. Uh, so you've got Alba, and Vidal as fullbacks, Umtiti and Pique in the middle. The triangle shouldn't have changed. I wouldn't have thought it's going to be Busquets, Rakitic and Iniesta. And up front, given the, his performance in El Gamper, I would have thought um, he's going to trust Messi and Suarez. And definitely on the left wing is going to be Gerardo Lofeo again. Um, so I would expect that to be the starting eleven. But the main difference between last season and this preseason is the fact that Valverde has begun to start to get the starters into high pressure up the pitch, making sure that whoever's on the ball, when it's not us, uh, feels the pressure and feels sort of the need to pass the ball away. Um, he hasn't been doing it as in individual players, but he's been sort of getting his team to press as a whole, going into areas rather than individuals. And that has really, truly worked. It is essential that the speed in transition increases, um, particularly when moving from defensive to attacking mechanisms and, and transitions. And um, if that continues to happen, I think Real Madrid do have a fight in their hands. Another note on Real Madrid is that Cristiano Ronaldo has yet to start a game in the preseason for Real Madrid, of course, coming back from the Confederations Cup. And along with him came Andre Gomez, who hasn't featured yet for Barcelona. But as you had mentioned, Andre Gomez isn't going to be expected to be one of the starters in that game with Iniesta, Busquets, and Rakitic in the middle. So I think it's an exciting thing for them to look at. And there's another point that I want to reiterate you had made, that Vidal, you know, we've been very down on him last season. He hadn't really performed. And when he finally got healthy and had one or two good performances, he got injured. And that was basically the story of his season last year. But he seems to be getting more and more involved and more and more comfortable with his Barcelona teammates, especially on that right side, playing with Messi in front of him. I mean, if as long as you put the ball at his feet, you're doing a good job. But Vidal has seemingly gotten more and more up the field as the preseason gone on, particularly in the Gamper Trophy match. And Nelson Semedo, another point on the Portuguese right back, is yes, he was the big summer signing so far, and of course there will be others expected. But Nelson Semedo doesn't look out of place as other players have been in the past, Nelson Semedo just is going to take a little bit of time to get used to the club and figure out the playing style. And it is a little bit of a jump in terms of style from Benfica to Barcelona. So Nelson Semedo, just like Samuel Mtiti, as we had mentioned in the past, he won't start the year as a starter, but he might end the year as a starter. And that means if Alexi Vidal can play the way he's playing right now, Alexi Vidal would be one of the better backup right backs 
in the Liga and maybe the world if Nelson Semedo can truly accept the role of being the starter. I think Semedo has a problem and the fact is clear. Dani Alves was out of this world when he was with us for a huge, huge number of seasons. And I think people at the Camp Nou and around the local area are actually trying to compare him to Alves. And that's not going to help him at all. Yes, he's got the stamina, he's got the fitness, and some of his moves sort of remind us all of what Alves used to do. But unless he can get away from Dani Alves' shadow, he is not going to succeed put it that way so he needs to be his own player um, f- I think for now and up to this point particularly in the Gamper but also in his first game in the USA Tour he was quite conservative I would say um, he was pushing forward but not as decisively as you would expect and as you've seen him do in Benfica I think that he's very quite safe in terms of associations he's been combining f- um, coming back to the centre-backs quite a bit and whenever he's been under pressure and the centre-back has been covered and that hasn't been a possibility, he's been looking towards the middle. Traditionally, he's been Busquets. So I think that's a good thing. You know, It's better to be earning, racing and developing your confidence rather than pushing forward for really no need whatsoever. You know, I think one step at a time, slowly that's it. And... Um, in, if Vidal needs to start for the first two, three, four, five games, I think that's cool with me. I think that that is the plan that Valverde has as well. It's all about developing confidence and uh, making sure that when he does start games, he does make an impact because he's properly ready. Because let's not forget, he didn't start the preseason with us. And that in itself, there's a lot of work in terms of um, physicality. There's a lot of work in terms of mechanisms and, and tactics that he's missed. So he needs to catch up with that and then... He's got the time, so I think when he's totally ready, he will make an impact and Gules will be happy. But let's not compare him to Alves just yet. No, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think Gules needs to slow the roll on and trying to take the best of Danny Alves and saying Nelson Semedo at 23 in his first season with Barcelona needs to replicate those things. And I also have to remind Gules that in the last season or two for Danny Alves, he was seen as a guy that needed to be replaced. Even two years ago, they said that Alves just he had he wasn't at his best and he was getting older, looking slower, and so Kules were calling for his head. And I want to remind Kules that they were high on Alves, but they were low on Alves. And so for any new player that comes to the club, I think there is a certain amount of time that should be afforded those players. And I think it's depending on expectations too. He was he was bought for about thirty million plus, and so a player like that is going to be expected to be the starter. But I think even at that value, he he was largely unproven on the world stage where he's just breaking in to Portugal's national team this past summer basically and even before that Benfica he had only been a starter for about a year or two so to put all of this responsibility and pressure on him and particularly the way that certain Portuguese players are treated and how quickly Kule's team especially in Catalonia seemed to turn on him I think everyone just needs to take a breath on Nelson Semedo and for the time being I think uh, maybe a clear course of action that might be a little more healthy would be to just rejoice in how well Alexi Vidal, who is, we had talked about, is probably going to be the starter against Real Madrid, and he'll be the right back to start the year for Barcelona um, with the vote of confidence from Valverde. So just rejoice in what Vidal's doing for the time being. Yeah, definitely. Let, let's do that. I think they both have a lot to offer, and we are lucky to have such good fullbacks, right backs in this case, in our, in our team. So let's just enjoy that. Let's just Let's just give them the confidence they need in order to excel. 
and then we're going to have a very good season, particularly on that spot. The last point I wanted to talk about um, ahead of the Madrid game is Messi. You know, we <laughs> Messi is pretty much everything at Barca. He's in everyone's sort of heart and has been for a number of seasons. And in this podcast, given the fact that we're always talking about sign-ins and this could happen, that could happen, and that person could bring, we haven't really talked about Messi all that much. And um, previewing a classical without mentioning Messi, I think would be would be a sacrilege, put it that way. Um, Messi, I think, Barca pretty much revolves around him. If he's in a good mood and he's confident, Barca had a lot to win. And this preseason, he's been on fire. He has been fully committed to every single game we've played. And he has been looking for Suarez for obvious reasons, much more than, than usual, but that's, that's understandable. I think his connection with Deolofeo needs a little bit of work and uh, that's only going to come with time. But um, I see Messi totally fired up, totally geared up to, to, to excel and see what's coming. Um, he's been looking after the whole of the team and he's finally, well not finally, because he's only for many seasons, but he has once again ensured that his teammates go forward with him and everyone steps up. And I think that if uh, Barca are to be successful in a Clásico, it's going to be because of a messy great game. So let's just hope that uh, Valverde can accommodate the whole team around him and give Messi the, enough freedom in order to take this team forward as he always has done. And if he does that, we've got a really high chance of getting the Supercopa against Madrid or against whoever that may be. We are a fantastic team, but we are the best team in the world when Messi is at its best. It is in everyone's best interest to ensure that he's confident and to ensure that he's got all the tools around him in order to excel. So let's just do that. Let's trust in Messi and everything will be fine. It might be a little bit cliche to say that the first 15 minutes of that game are really important, but you look at the friendly they played in Miami, that Messi was dedicated from the start. And you talked about that Messi is always always has been Messi for all of his years at the Camp No. But when Messi is dedicated to pressing and helping the defense turn the ball over near the other team's goal, that's what makes Barcelona the most dangerous that they'd ever been. You look at Messi under Pep Guardiola as his legend was beginning to grow. The intensity he had to help out bringing those double teams and cornering down those angles. We've seen in the past where the seasons at Barcelona just didn't seem to have that extra umph and that extra push. Those were the seasons that you could see Messi kind of just walking and taking his time back defensively. But if he looks the way he looked in the preseason, he just seems hungry on that press. And when Barcelona turns you over 30 yards away from your goal, that's when they're the most dangerous. And it's not even necessarily a counterattack. It's merely that they're always attacking and they always have that forward-thinking mentality. And so that basically puts you on the attack for 90 minutes and you never really are defending as if you can try to press and turn a team over immediately. And even for all the quality that Real Madrid has, they really struggled against that press in Miami. And I expect that you had mentioned if, if Messi can help even emotionally lead that line, then Barcelona is going to come out flying. And no matter who is the rest of the starting 11, it all does truly run through Messi. And if he's firing all cylinders, it won't matter what Real Madrid have to offer. I also think that not having Neymar is going to be easier for Real Madrid in order to defend. Let's just not forget that if Neymar isn't there, there's going to be one more player that is most likely going to be able to either double team or triple team whenever Messi drifts to the middle. So... 
obviously, and we talked about it at the beginning of the show and in a previous episode as well, if the board could work towards getting an, an extra sort of world-class striker, that would really help. And uh, the Super Cup against Madrid, I think, is going to be a first chance to see how Barca does without Neymar being a focal reference on the left wing and the impact that's going to have on Messi's game. So let's just wait and see. But as we have both said, we're both confident that Barca have what it takes to bring the title back to Catalonia. A good point. Even if Barcelona were to get a player in the next few days, it doesn't mean that they would be able to feature in the beginning of a season. It would take a little while for everything to go through. Well, going from the first team, we're going to talk about the youth a little bit with one of our fan questions from Jos Hoytink. He asks, what is going on with our once famed scouting system? Many clubs find these gems when they are 16 to 18 years old, but always seem to be after our established players. Names that anyone with an interest in football can come up with, but who are obviously going to be extremely expensive. And I'll try to answer this one quickly, Francesca, then you can add on. Well, I would say that Barcelona's scouting system is one of the best in the world, where here in the U.S. at least, that's where I can compare it to, very few clubs have full-time scouts and have scouts that they can pay to travel the world and be in all these different locations. And Barcelona are one of the few teams in the world that have the scouting network that they do all over the place and you also have to look at the ban that Barcelona had to deal with a few years ago these top clubs have to be very careful with exactly where they're pulling their talent from and they have to make sure that these situations are correct and follow FIFA guidelines or Barcelona is going to have themselves an issue at the youth level again and then you're going to have players like as we had mentioned on an earlier podcast Sung Hoo Lee who seems like he doesn't have a place at the club but I don't blame the player because he's missed two plus years of education and now he's expected to you know, become the world-beating striker that he was looked to be when he was 14 or 15 in the academy where he was a guy that you knew about when he was, as I said, barely a teenager and now he's a guy that could be sold on the club for a cheaper amount than he was worth just because of that ban. So Barcelona had to be very careful with the way that they're bringing young talent in and in the same respect, I think Barcelona is putting the faith in their youth academy that they can develop talent from 8 to 12 years old more so than having to bring talent in from in the later teenage years, 16 to 18, which doesn't really give players like a Denis Suarez when he came in. It doesn't really give a player like Denis Suarez that much time to develop in the youth academy if they're brought in in either the level right before Barcelona B or even all the players that we see being introduced to Barcelona B that are 18, 19, 20 years old. Again, they just don't have the time to really develop the Barcelona philosophies. And on the other side of things, Barcelona is, as I had mentioned earlier in the show, one of the top teams in the world. And to compete with some of the other top teams in the world, then you need to grab the top talent. And with all the clubs in the world and all the coaches and all the youth systems, it's statistically impossible. It'd be an anomaly for Barcelona to be able to produce 10 of these amazing players from the ages of 12. It just doesn't work that way, particularly with the scouting networks and technology that coaches and clubs have at their fingertips now. The world of football has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. When Messi, Puyol, Xavi, Amor, uh, Guardiola, etc. came through the academy, Barca was a unique model. La Masia was pretty much unheard of everywhere else. And uh, in the last 10, 10 years... We had visitors coming to Barcelona on pretty much a weekly basis to work out what the secret of the academy is. And there's been different clubs, Manchester City, for example. Um, Ajax Academy has always been good, but they've also been looking at ours and see what we do differently. And many other teams, such as Chelsea, um, etc. You know, many, many teams 
have done pretty much the same that what Barca was successful as doing 20 years ago. Now, because money is not in Barca's side anymore, uh, or in a way we're not the only rich club in the universe, it is it is understandable, really, that players that start picking up steam, say in Argentina, say in any academy around Europe and beyond, there's many different clubs that can come for an offer and then it's up to the player to decide. So that is one factor. I think the second factor is is that the La Masia Academy has dropped in quality in terms of coaching and in terms of intensity over the last, I would say, five to eight years. And that is mainly because the focus hasn't always been on creating players, particularly when it comes to juveniles and Barca C and Barca B, and to the point that Barca C doesn't even exist anymore. So, I mean, that, that is a point in itself. Um, so when it comes to the upper years and players are making that jump from promising youngsters into developing teenagers with a chance of looking at the first team, there are so many offers coming from, say, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City and uh, Monaco this season because we've seen Garcia and Mbula leaving as well. So, you know, it's a completely different ball game. You know, it's not the traditional stay at Barca until you get to the first team. And like Andres Iniesta did, debut at the first team and then wait for five years until you can have a starting spot if you earn it. Um, I think the most recent example, the current example that we've got now is Sergio Roberto. Um, I think that's a player that is going to continue to grow this year. Um, having, I would say, done a great job. I wouldn't say excel, but been really reliable as a right back and as a sort of backup for Danny Alves because he left. Um, and then he's going to be pushed back to the midfield clearly this season as well. So I would say that's the most sort of Iniesta-esque development story of Barca in recent de- in recent years. But all of the factors that I just mentioned do affect the fact that La Masia is not because of definition, because time goes by and changes and time does change. I think by definition, La Masia cannot operate in the same way that it did. But that doesn't mean it is going to be less effective or it should be. So I would say let's invest heavily on that forward on the left and then trust La Masia from that moment onwards. We've got a lot of players in the squad that can do the job until players like Alanya, Valencia, Sergi Samper, etc. are ready to, to take the starting spot in the first team. So let's be patient and we will, we will succeed. Yeah, if you guys disagree with us, and really good question, thanks for that, Yost. But if you disagree with Frances and I, because clearly him and I are on the same page in terms of, again, you've got to fill the top starting 11, but then you have to trust La Masia with the bench. And, you know, whether it's Alenia, Roberto, Samper, both Frances and I are pretty excited about the bench depth that have come through the academy at Barcelona. But there are some negative things, and We'll talk about that with the next fan question in coming from James Coulet. And he asked a number of questions. Thanks for all the questions, James. And we'll try to get to one or two of them now. And basically, to combine two of them, Frances, he asked, could a kid playing FIFA for fun do a better job than this board and buying and selling players? Of course, that being a joke. But the serious question he's asking is, should Bartomeu seriously consider stepping down? And I think that's the much more serious question as we want to thank James for all of his questions and also we want to give a shout out to all the Kool-Aids in Sydney, Australia as looking at their time watching Barcelona is not an easy thing you got to get up at all these different weird hours to watch your favorite team and 
again, it's really exciting that you have that kind of passion to get up in the middle of the night to watch your squad. But more importantly, you look at Bartomeu, Frances, and you're right, he has not had a very good public image over this summer. I think that Bartomeu hasn't had the best image in, in front of the media, and that is simply because he hasn't really been that efficient in a variety of topics of late. Um, let's not forget he hasn't been a very popular member of the board since since he joined, really. Sandro Rossell um, is, at this moment in time, uh, fighting um, in all the way that he can in order to get out of jail. And um, he's, you know, he's involved in really, really dodgy dealings that I really don't want to get into. It's far too complicated to discuss it. Let's just say there's some dishonesty going on in terms of numbers and in terms of bank accounts. Um, and that's as far as I can say at this moment in time. So um, I think Bartomeu pretty much is linked and will always be linked to Rossell's um, legacy. And whether stepping down is the right decision remains to be seen. In my eyes, I don't think he should step down because that will leave the club in the middle of a, let's say, civil war in the middle of the season. I think if I was him, what I would do is to call an election and the election should be held in my eyes, will be next June, June 2018, once the season is finished and Kules have another season under the belts in order to evaluate and then we can move forward. Having an election or having a resignation throughout the year, I think makes no sense from an institutional point of view. It's only going to send our club into more stability, instability and uh, I don't think it would be a wise, a wise decision. I don't disagree with the fact that he's been inefficient. I don't disagree with the fact that there really, truly has to be someone out there that can do a better job. But at this moment in time, the most important thing is for the team to perform, signings, and that will be finished within two, three weeks, and there will be no, no room for maneuver after that. So let's just give the team as much tranquility, as much calmness as we can do that, as, as we can do. And then once next summer comes, Let's decide who we want to take the center spot in our team. Yeah, I don't have anything to add on that. And we've got our last fan question that we're not actually going to answer, but we're going to use it as a teaser for a future show. And Jeff Cooper, um, one of our favorite contributors on all the different social media platforms, he asked us, what's the all-time Barca 11? And then he says, hashtag Force of Barca, of course, which is how we end every show as well. And so for Jeff, we'll tell you and the rest of the fans out there that we're going to be answering this in a future show very soon. And so we want you to respond. The best way to get to us is our website. So respond to us who your favorite starting 11 would be. And we're going to see how Frances and I differ in our starting 11s and some of the best that we have. And I would say that I'll give you a hint for everybody. You start with Lionel Messi and build from there. And so really you're just building a starting 10 but there's been a pretty good few players like Xavi, Iniesta, who might be fitting in as well. But that midfield, Frances, is going to be awful tough to figure out. It's going to be really hard. I think the only certainty is that Douglas is going to be at right back. From that point onwards, I'm not sure. I don't know if Messi will make the team, but Douglas, without a doubt, will be a starter. So fans, do get involved. It's thebarcelonapodcast.com. Get in there. You will see the post. It's going to be fairly easy to find. We're going to make it sort of crystal clear and then get involved. But definitely include Douglas in your starting eleven without a doubt. Yeah, that's the way to make sure that everyone knows exactly the kind of quality players that Barcelona have had through the years. But also, don't be afraid to go back through the history books. Barcelona have had a rich history of Dutch players, of um, Hungarian players as well. 
and I would be surprised if play if especially some of our older fans didn't know how to go back and get some members of the dream team as well and I'd love to see some of these amalgamations and so we'll have that in a future episode soon with Frances and my picks but that'll be it for today's show thanks so much for listening again as always please subscribe itunes and overcast or wherever you listen to your podcast you can comment support the show give us some nice ratings we've read some of those in the past and it's a good way to get your name mentioned on the show and give us five stars as well on all those different platforms well that wraps it up and again thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the camp no and until next time we'll talk to you soon and forza barca Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.